You're listening to Rudy on the radio and on the phone right now. I have one of my uh, baseball uh, writer heroes, Bill Madden of the uh, Daily News Forever. And now uh, he's just written a book that I have read and uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Of course, um, my baseball hero since the time I was little was George Thomas Seaver. Bill, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Bill, this actually started as what was going to be a documentary and then ended into the book. Can you tell us a little bit about how that evolved from a documentary to a book? Yeah, I've had a long, I had a long-standing relationship with Seaver that extended beyond just a writer-player relationship. Uh, we became good friends uh, uh, towards the end of his career and, um, and of course, beyond when, after he retired because uh, we were both wine aficionados. Although Seaver made it a business, right? I was just a wine drinker. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, and because of my relationship with him, which really all started back in 1983, when the Mets left him unprotected right. for the free agent compensation draft, uh, this was one of the all-time blunders. Blunders. In history, although they've had a history of blunders, mm-hmm. but this was maybe the worst one of all. And uh, I wound up. Uh, through a, uh, a quirk of uh, circumstances, wound up being the guy that told Seaver that he'd been left unprotected and he was going to have to leave the Mets again. Right. It's kind of a long story. but No, anyway. but it's in the book, and I loved, I mean, I yeah. mean that's one of the good things. You, you gave us some insights we'd never had before. Right. And um, so anyway, uh, I, had, I had told my friends about this through the years, and I had, uh, a very good friend of mine, Martin Dunn, he was the editor-in-chief of the Daily News for two different stints over there. And uh, I was very close with Martin. And uh, Terry Thompson, who was the sports editor there for a good period of time. And they were working on various... Martin had left the Daily News and formed his own production company, and they were working on different documentaries. And he came up with this idea that he said, you know, I'd love to do a documentary on Seaver and in particular your relationship with him. So do you think he w- he said, do you think he would agree to do this? So I said, well, I'll try. I called him. And uh, this was a time when Tom was re- the dementia that right, had started to settle in incurred after his Lyme disease came back 30 years mm-hmm. later after he first contracted it back in Connecticut in the early in the early 90s. Uh, it had come back and it really had affected his mind. And this was this was around 2015, and uh, he was still good, but he was he was starting to lose it. Right. So I called him and he said, "Yeah, sure, come on out. I'd I'd love to do it. No problem." So I was pleasantly surprised about that, and so we went out there with a whole camera crew and everything, and this was in 2016, and we shot this documentary we shot he gave us we were there for about two days out there mm-hmm. uh, in calistoga where his vineyard was and we interviewed tom and nancy his wife and his daughter and uh, and uh, of course then it went to the hall of fame i interviewed all his hall of fame teammates right. quote unquote and Mets people and uh, we must have had hours and hours of interviews for this documentary and then um, what happened was uh, the second time, we went back a second time in 2017, and I could not believe how he had declined 
mentally as far as his memory and everything else. He couldn't even remember any details of his 300th win wow. the second time we went back there. And uh, I was really alarmed at how much he had declined. How quickly it happened. And then, so, uh, yeah, uh, about a year later uh, was when uh, we had had no contact. I had had very little contact with him. And about a year later, uh, the family in the Hall of Fame announced that he was suffering from dementia and dropping out of public life. And it was at that point that Martin Dunn said to me, Billy, you've got to do the book now. Mm -hmm. I had been reluctant to do a book because I knew I couldn't do one with him because of his memory issues. Right. And I didn't feel right about doing a book about him without his permission. And, you know, his, he was having memory issues that might not even remember that he gave me permission to do it, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So, but at this point in time, he said, "You, Martin said, you got to do this book. You're the only guy that can do this book. You knew him better than anybody. We have all this, all this stuff on tape that we're not going to be able to use in the documentary. You got to do it." So that's how I decided to do the book. Well, I'm thank 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 you for doing it because so many of us uh, Met fans and the longtime Seaver fans, uh, there were insights in there, Bill, especially the blunders. And and you know what for. For being the franchise, uh, the Mets did let him down quite a few times, didn't they? Yes, they did. Uh, and as I point out at the end of the book, he never really fully reconciled with the Mets. Right. Um, uh, I mean, we start, we, we go all the way back to 1977. Sure. When he got into the contract dispute with M. Donald Grant. Mm -hmm. Who's not a, who's not a, uh, you know, we talk about the people, talk about the Wilpons, but those of us who had a, you know, the 70s, while the Yankees are becoming superpowers, M. Donald Grant keeps telling us that, you know, we got we got the horses here. Yeah, right. Well, M. Donald Grant was, he was the patrician chairman, as I call him in the right. book. Uh, and um, it was really, that was probably the ugliest period in the Mets history when M. Donald Grant was the chairman of the team. He wouldn't get involved in free agency. He was a cheapskate as far as, you know. right. People think the Wilpons were bad. No, uh, mm -hmm. this, this was the worst because he wouldn't sign free agent. He didn't. Believe he didn't believe in it, right? And that's why he and Seaver got into. On top of the fact that Seaver was having his own contract dispute, he was he was hammering Grant in the papers for his refusal to improve the team. And so um, that was the that was the beginning. Of course, they traded him to the Reds. Right. That was the first real fissure between Seaver and the Mets. And it somewhat got healed when Frank Cashin brought him back. Right, um, in 83. Uh, five, five years later, when his contract was coming to an end with the Reds, and the Reds didn't really want to pay him what he was supposed to be, what he was was being paid. And Cashin called um, Bob Housen, the president of the uh, Reds, and he said, look, I'd like to bring Seaver back here. You guys don't really don't need him. The Reds were in decline then. Yeah, they were going to rebuild. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so they made this deal, and they brought Seaver back to New York amid, amid uh, gala. Um, uh, I was one of them. <laughs> and uh, he was there one year in 83, and that's when they left him unprotected in this free agent compensation draft, thinking that, no, the White thinking that nobody would take him, right? That they would never take him. And um, so that was the second fissure. And then, of course, when Seaver and Seaver really never forgot both of those things, even though he said publicly, sure, uh, it was water over the dam and mm -hmm. 
he was mm-hmm. not holding any grudges. But the final straw for him was when they opened up City Field and they brought him back to throw out the, the first, first pitch, pitch City right? Field to Mike Piazza. And I got this from a real good friend of his. It's a, the, the scene is in the book. They're walking into Seaver and his friend. They're walking into City Field for the first time, and they walk into that rotunda, the Jackie Robinson rotunda. Right. And Seaver's looking all around the place. First of all, there's no statue of Seaver. Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Parks, yeah. All these new Seaver was keenly aware of the fact that all these new ballparks that had opened up since Camden Yards 25 years ago. Pittsburgh and St. Louis. Sure, and sure. They, they have statues of their, of their you know, of their icons, their heroes. Part of the ballparks was the statues that they put in front of the ballparks of their fam- of their most famous players and franchise players. And, of course, there was nothing at City Field. So he walks in and he sees all the Brooklyn Dodgers. The Dodgers, yeah, it was Dodgers like a monument to the Dodgers. Uh-huh. And he said to his friend, he said, you know, I realize that Jackie Robinson was a great player, a Hall of Famer, and, and a groundbreaking player, but I don't recall him ever playing for the Mets. Mm. And he just a, just a subtle little remark like that. And his friend said to me, he said, you have no idea how truly upset Seaver was over the fact that they didn't even have, the Mets didn't even have the Hall of Fame room not the, yeah, when they opened up it, and the and the outfield wall was black and, and there was no yep. blue and orange. I mean, it was a disappointment to true Met fans, no doubt. Yeah, so, and so he always felt that the Mets never really appreciated him the way he should have been appreciated. And so uh, when they named uh, the street after him uh, and they had the street naming ceremony, he was too far gone. It was it was too late. To yeah, that ceremony, but. You know, and they talk about putting the statue up, but it's too late. You know? Yeah. Oh, I remember the talk. They saying, "Why are they are they going to wait until he passed?" And then, unfortunately, um, that's what happened, right? Yep. Well, no, I mean, they didn't know he was going to die. But, no, I know, but they, but we would. But they just, yeah, never got around to it, and it was, it was, you know, I blame this on Jeff Wilpon and Fred Wilpon. And I mean, and Fred is a dear friend of mine, but. You know, they they just were so short sighted when it came to Seaver, and right. really when it came to the history of to the, the history of their, their team, own team mm-hmm. uh, they never really took their own Hall of Fame very seriously. Right. Um, whereas the Yankees, you know, they have Monument Park out there, and and Seaver told me that once. I think the quote is in the book. He said, he said the difference between the Yankees and the Mets is the Yankees understand and fully appreciate their own history, and the Mets do not. No, that's and true. So I'll tell you a story. I, yeah. I sent a copy of the book to Steve Cohen. Okay. Uh, and I put a note with it. I said, consider this a primer on how not to run the New York Mets. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, here can I ask you about this one, Bill? Because you had mentioned that Frank was Frank Cashin was trying to get Seaver back. And, and, and when I read that, you know, it just frustrated me because... How uh, how awesome would it have been if Seaver was in the other dugout oh, on in eighty uh, six exactly yeah. and and Davy Johnson had kiboshed that yeah well here's what happened on that and this is another uh, part of my relationship with him I was I was uh, I I was right in the middle of the um, uh, well he, after I was the one that told him he was going to have to go to the White Sox and everything. 
he finally got that resolved because he didn't really want to go there. Sure. But um, he he had an acrimonious first couple of meetings with Jerry Reinstone. Yeah, that's great in the book. Uh -huh. Anyway, it's two years later now. He's accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. He got his 300th win in Chicago in 1985, and now it's 1986. The White Sox are going backwards. Right. And Seaver's, Seaver's career is coming to an end, and he is really kind of lonely and miserable out there in Chicago. It's a, it's a wasted situation for him out there, and he wanted, desperately wanted to come home to New York and, and finish his career in New York. So he gave me a call one day. Uh, it was in the, it was, I guess it was uh, sometime around uh, April or May, maybe a little later. I think it was June of uh, 75, because of uh, June of 86, because the trading deadline was right, coming up. Right, right. And he said to me, he said, I, I, I need a favor. He said, I would love to come back and finish my career in New York. Uh, and and um, Kenny Harrelson, the White Sox GM, is, is very obliging on this thing. But he called the Mets, and uh, Frank really wanted to do the deal. He wanted to bring me back. But Davey Johnson overruled him. Well, not overruled him. He said he didn't want him there. And at the time, you have to remember, the Mets had a full pitching staff. They had Dwight Gooden. They had no, yeah, they, you're right. They had Sid Fernandez, Bobby Ojeda, and they were on their way to the World Series with the best pitching staff in baseball. And I guess Davey just thought that Seaver would be, um, Seaver would be, first of all, he would be uh, excess, to say the least. He didn't know if he'd have a place for him to pitch in the rotation. And um, he... Uh, he just didn't think it was going to be a good mix, and he was afraid of, you know, uh -huh. he was he, he was afraid of there might be even a chemistry problem with Seaver, although, you know, most of Seaver's teammates, especially the pitchers, will tell you that they idolized him. Sure. And he was very helpful to everywhere he went. Anyway, so Davey put the kibosh on it. Yeah. And then, so Seaver's calling me now, and he said, can you do me a favor? Could you call Steinbrenner for me and tell him that I would love to come back and finish my career with the Yankees? So I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. So, uh, in fact, I said to him, I said, you know, i got to tell you, Tom, I said, I can't imagine he would not be really all in on this one. This is right out of the George Handbook. Exactly, because it would have been, yep. Mm -hmm. Upstage the Mets on the right. way to the World Series by bringing Tom Seaver back to New York as a Yankee. Right, but was I was I was really surprised when I called George, and he was only lukewarm to the idea. And to make a long story short, uh, George starts telling me about how Harrelson's insisting that the player he gets back in this deal is a uh, shortstop named Carlos Martinez. He was a six foot six shortstop <laughs> who everybody thought he would never. He was too big for shortstop anyway. He was going to have to move to first base or third base. And anyway, but George was, he was bound in that he was not going to give this guy up. And I said, George, I said, we're talking Tom Seaver yeah. here. What yeah. are you thinking about? I mean, Carlos Martinez, nobody even knows that this guy's going to make it. Oh, no, no, I, I don't know if I can give this guy up. And so I call, I call Harrelson back and I said, look, I don't know what's going on here, but I can't believe that George is being so reluctant on this thing. And Meanwhile, I'm saying to myself, what am I doing in the middle of this trade? <laughs> I'm just a writer. I'm talking to Harrelson. I'm talking to Steinbrenner. I'm trying to get make this trade for Seaver. 
and do Seaver a favor and get sure. him back to the Yankees. Sure. So the deal wound up being hung up on George Carlos Martinez. The and they wound yeah. up trading him to Boston, and that's how he wound up in the opposing dugout for the 86 World Series. Yeah, which is, again, ironic because, uh, you know, the fans, man, the fans, they were welcoming Lee Mazzilli back in 86. Uh, I, I just can't imagine the fans not... Uh, you know, not being a the, a great win for everyone, but having Seaver in in '86 also. Yeah, it would have been great, uh, but um, right. The Mets didn't want him. Yeah. Uh, well, Davey didn't want him, and uh, so and that, uh, yeah. wasn't going to overrule his manager, and it was he was really doing it as a favor to himself. I sure. Think, because he felt so badly about having left him unprotected. Sure. Three years earlier. Back to the question of Seaver. What I loved about Tom Seaver, now I was in my Little League glory when he came on the scene. And I, you know, again, I was frustrated by the everybody loving this this lovable loser thing because we were kids and we wanted to win. And Seaver comes on the scene and changes everything in 1967, doesn't he? He absolutely changed the culture. Uh, of course, he'd been a winner all his life, Little League back in Fresno, and then, of course, USC when he pitched for right. Rod Dato, the legendary yep. Southern Cal coach who um, won three or four national championships. And so he'd never been on losing teams his entire life. Uh, and so he arrives on the scene in 1967, his rookie season with the Mets. And uh, the writers at the time were, uh, you know, they've been covering the team since 62, their inception. And, of course, most of that time, Casey Stengel had been the manager. He, right. He was replaced in 66 with um, with Wes Westrom, who was the total opposite of Stengel. And in that, Westrom was this bland, dull guy. Yeah. yeah. Was not a quote master the, the way old <laughs> Casey was. But, and, so, and the team was still bad. <laughs> right. Maybe even worse. Right. Uh, you know. And um, so the writers reverted to uh, always quoting Casey in their stories and uh, talking about how the Mets were still lovable losers and 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 Rod Keneal and Marvin, Marvelous yeah, Marv. Yeah, Marvelous Marv. Marv and uh-huh. Coleman. These guys had become legendary baseball players in New York by this time, but for the wrong reason. But for the wrong but reason, Sears yeah. comes in this clubhouse and he's hearing these, he's watching, reading what these writers are writing every day, listening to the uh, press con- you know, the conferences they'll have with Westrom, and they'll say, by the way, you know what Casey once said, and things like this. And Seaver finally, at one point, he uh, he was talking to Swoboda, who was a fellow rookie, right? and he said, I don't know about you, Ronnie, but he says, I don't get all this stuff about the lovable losers. Uh, we had nothing to do with this. And I, I don't understand this. He says, I'm not, I don't want to be, I don't want any part of this. And I guess he said it to a few people in the clubhouse, and the writers picked up on it, and they, all, they realized that this guy means business here. He's, he's uh, you know, he, he, he wants no part of this, and uh, maybe, we started, maybe we should start looking at Seaver and these new people that are slowly coming in here and start writing about that. Of course, they needed to start winning as well. Mm-hmm. And they didn't win in '67, and then they and they really and they didn't win in '68 when they brought Gil Hodges in. But 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 talk Gil a little Hodges bit, yeah. That 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 uh, right. There. Gil and Gil and Seaver were uh, not only did they bring change to the Mets, but that relationship was something that Tom never forgot. 
Yeah, well, that was it. I mean, you know, he was... He liked Westrom, but he realized that Westrom was just a placeholder there. Right. And um, and when Gil Hodges became available down in Washington, he, had, of course, he was you know an all-time New York hero with the Dodgers, and um, he was a man with a, a presence about him. And when he came in there, Seaver realized that the, as much as he'd talked about wanting to change the culture here. Now the culture was going to change because he could see right away. They were both fellow Marines. Seaver, of course, had been in the Marine Reserves after he got out of college, uh, which has transformed him right. into a into a professional baseball player because he went into the Marines, Marine Corps Reserves. Um, he was 5'9", 160 when he went in, and six months later he came out of the Marines 6'1", 210. Uh, it was uh, it's what I say in the book was a miracle grow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he immediately bonded with Hodges, and he saw what Hodges was going to bring to this team, and uh, and that's what happened. In '68, they they were greatly improved. That, no doubt, there was a different, there was a whole different feel for us fans. Even that we knew that the times were changing for the better. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then comes 69, and oh, what a time to be alive as a New York fan. The Mets win, the Jets win, the Knicks win. You think it's going to be this way the rest of your life, and then you realize, wow, it wasn't. But what a, what, what a ride 69 was. And uh, when it comes to Tom Seaver, what I loved about Tom, and you could speak to this, is that he was not just a thrower. So many of the pitchers today are just throwing. He, he was cerebral in every, in every way, shape, and form. No, he was a student of the game uh, and a a student of pitching. He said to me on more than one occasion, he said, I was an artist out there. Absolutely. And he was. Yeah. Uh, The best story I can tell you about that was a a story I got from um, Tom Hume, who was a relief pitcher with the Reds when Siva went over there. He was actually their closer when Siva went over there. But he was a kid out of Cincinnati. He grew up in Cincinnati. He had never seen the world, so to speak. Uh, Cincinnati, Ohio had been his entire life. And when Seaver got there, he took him, he took Hume under his wing. And uh, right away when Seaver's, when Hume saw Seaver sitting in front of his locker doing the New York Times crossword puzzle, in ink, by the way, yep. um, he knew that this guy was something different. Uh, he was more than just a great pitcher. He was, he was a cerebral guy who uh, was probably one of the smartest uh, players he was ever going to be associated with. And Seaver took him under his wing. He took him to art museums and went on the road. He taught him how to play bridge. Uh, and he included him in the bridge games on the team flights, things like that. But he also taught him about pitching. Right. And the strategy of pitching. And knowing which pitch you're going to use uh, at which point in time in the game and how to conserve your pitches. So that you can, uh, you know, uh, don't waste don't waste a lot of pitches on the number nine hitter, things like that. And Hume uh, and Hume's Hume's uh, quote to me was, he says the the thing I learned about Seaver was that really amazed me was he was always pitching, he was always thinking two pitches ahead on every batter. And the example of that, I later got. Uh, from Tony Larusa, when Seaver was with the White Sox, Larusa told me this story. Huh. Uh, they were playing against. Uh, I, he, 
I can't remember the team. Uh, now he couldn't remember the team, but he said there was a there was a see it was late in the game, and there were runners on first and third, and there was two outs in the game, and a really dangerous left-handed hitter is coming up, and uh, Seaver had just walked the previous batter. And LaRusa starts out to the mound, and Seaver immediately waves him off. He says, Don't worry, I got this guy. Seaver had, as LaRusa said, I had a left hander warming up in the bullpen. It was the time to take him out, but Seaver waves me off. He says, Don't worry, I got this guy. So LaRusa makes an about face. He starts walking back to the dugout, and Seaver yells at him, But, but just so you know, I'm going to deliberately fall behind in the count, and then I'm going to have him pop the ball up to third base. And that's Larusa exactly what happened, right? Goes and he sits down. Seaver falls behind in the count, two and zero. The left-handed hitter is at the play. Now he's digging in. He's waiting for that fastball. That fastball. Seaver throws him a changeup, and he pops it up to the third baseman. I I love that story. I love it because it's so. And and I've had a chance. I've had a chance to have Jerry Grody on my show. Seaver had some great catchers. I mean, he got Grody, Bench, and Fisk, and you can't go wrong with that trio. No, he had probably the, well, certainly. Two of the greatest catchers in history, and Fisk and and, and Bench. Rody was probably one of the best defensive catchers and handler of pitchers in baseball. Uh, yeah, and they would always talk about through the batters, and that's something I wish. Uh, well, I I tried to teach it when I was coaching. Matter of fact, Bill, I was teaching the drop and drive to students, and then basically the the, the high school system told me not to do that anymore. You know, wow. they did. They said. We don't want our pitchers doing it and because drop and drive was the way I learned. And uh, talk of the, the Mets, when they found out, and when I found out, I was crushed because I thought heroes never died. And uh, losing Seaver and how the Mets pay tribute to him was pretty cool, what they did. Tell us about yeah. what they did. Oh, yeah, as far as when the pitchers all had the dirt on their the knee. The dirt on their knee, yeah. Yeah, that was that was great. Well, thank you. You're, again, it's it, it, the book is, of course, Tom Seaver, uh, a terrific life. Uh, he will always be Tom Terrific, no matter what uh, some other quarterback might say. Uh, Bill Madden, it's a bestseller. It's it's absolutely incredible. You can get it just about anywhere, and it means a lot to have a few minutes with you because because the you know everybody has heroes and and Seaver was my first hero and 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 will always be that and Bill thanks for bringing it to life there's things in the books that you'll you won't know and uh, I, I highly recommend it and thanks Bill for uh, for giving it to us oh that was my pleasure I, I will say this of all the books that I've written this was the most personal of all of them um, Steinbrenner was a labor of labor. This is a labor of love. <laughs> well, it's got to mean something to you when Seaver says, I'll only talk to Matt and I'll only talk to Bill, right? <laughs> I, yeah, that, that was that was kind of neat. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. Is, is there another project in the making or something we can look forward to or you just kind of uh, seeing well, what's what's going on these days? I, I thought I thought uh, my 1954, which I wrote, Right uh, back in Great 2004, book. I thought that was going to be my last book, and then all of a sudden, the Seaver book, as I've told you earlier, came out of nowhere. So you never know. No, but but thank you, absolutely, Bill Madden, uh, a Hall of Fame author himself, uh, writing the book Tom Seaver. Thanks for being with us today. It means a lot, Bill. Blessings. God okay. bless. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye, Bill. Thank you again for everything. I appreciate it. Okay. 
All right, Pleasure. sir. Take care. Thank you. Bye.